I couldn't find a memoir of a woman that hadn't already reached the top of the mountain and was looking back and being like, oh, all the things I did to get to the top of the mountain. I was like, what about those of us who are just scrambling in the rocks? Where are those stories? I didn't see them for South Asian women. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. So I am really excited about my next guest. Not only has she become a fast friend of mine, I just finished binge-watching season three of a Netflix show that has launched her into a household name. Aparna Shewakramani is a career attorney. And little did she know that in 2019, her voice would be a major contribution to the ongoing conversations concerning sexism and colorism. In Netflix's global hit show, we all know it, Indian Matchmaking, seasons one and two. She quickly embraced her role as a overnight ambassador for those women demanding to have their voices heard, not just at home, but also in their careers. And she's also the best-selling author of the nonfiction memoir called She's Unlikable and Other Lies That Bring Women Down. I actually read half of it last night uh, with my glass of wine while my kids were, you know, constantly bugging me. And I will definitely be reading the second half. It's such a great and relatable and fun read. I definitely recommend you get it. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Aparna Shilakramani. I first wanted to ask how your mom was doing. How's mom? She's doing okay. It's been a really hard six weeks because she still can't walk. And I think that's putting a lot of pressure on the rest of us. And she feels really bad. And it's just like the circle of caretaking. And so is she uh, staying between you and your sister? How's it going? This is her house. I stay here when I'm in town. Okay, awesome. So I did get through 95 pages of the book last night. Be very wow. proud of me with with two kids bugging me and no husband to help. Just letting you know. That's how much I love you. I mean, it was actually a really, really fun read. And I mean, it's just fun. It was not just easy. It's just, I think for me now, with all the time constraints we all have, I just want the book to be relatable. It's really uh-huh. relatable, I think, okay. which makes it easy. Really quick, just to get this out of the way, because look, I know one, the book came out last year. You probably, maybe not, but sick of talking about Indian matchmaking. Wasn't going to talk about it too much. I think there is so much that's happened in your life since then, and that I've known about you through friends. And I know you've been doing this probably on TikTok. I'm still scared of TikTok and all this stuff, but I just finished season three of Indian matchmaking. I know you've had some recaps. Can you give us a minute of your thoughts on season three? I loved it. I think it was a completely different show than the show I was on on season one. And maybe that's one of the reasons I love it. The characters were all people you were rooting for. It was warm. It was fuzzy. We were even getting a soft side of SEMA or an attempt at a soft side of SEMA. And I just thought, like, whatever this is that I'm watching, I'm down for it. It's palatable. I, I want everyone to find love and I'm cheering them on. Do you think that vibe and energy and that warmth came about because of lessons learned in season one and two? I can't speak for them. I mean, okay. I just didn't recognize the show and I was like, this is interesting. Okay. Would you have wished maybe to be on a later season? I guess everything happens for a reason. Yes, of course. Of course. And then 
to the book. All right. So read the book, read 90 pages, which is almost halfway. I was very proud of myself. It's really hard for me to read. And I had kind of five aha moments I wanted to talk to you about. First, my favorite word moment still from till I mean halfway halfway there still, but my, my favorite word moment is jolly. <laughs> I feel like that's an Indian word. I know it's not, but mm-hmm. I feel like Indians use it more. They use it more colloquially. Like yeah. They actually use it in their speech. Yeah. So I loved that just every time you said the word jolly, I'm like, that should just be a whole chapter. And I'm glad that you explained that date. I forgot the dude's name even, but the, the that date out because it is so ridiculous how we view reality TV. The second moment for me was the first time you were watching the show and your reaction to it. And you had, I think you and Shaker had called each other at 2 a.m. And again, we're all adults. We know reality TV is portrayed a certain way, but it, it is, even me, it is ridiculous that we all really do fall for it. We all do think it's real all the time. And whatever percentage is or isn't, we tend to forget it no matter at what age or how much you've seen it, right? And so that moment to me stuck with me. I mean, for lack of better words, have you gotten over that, that first moment of watching that season? I don't think you ever get over that. I think you move past it. I think there is a, a lot of emotions that are tied to it and those emotions will evolve over time, but I don't think it will ever be a positive experience in any way. It's interesting though, my mom and I, I don't know, six months ago watching Love is Blind and she was like, I just don't like this guy. He's not in it for the right reasons. And I was like, mom, this is a TV show. You don't know the guy. You don't know anything about him. You don't know his edit. You don't know. And she's like, oh my God, I have all people should know. But she got so wrapped up in it. And I was like, oh goodness. Just watching her was like, watching the propaganda hit my mother. And I was like, huh. And your mother who has been through it, like with you in the weeds was in the chapters upset for good reason at certain people. And it was straight up vilified herself. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's just say it as it is. She yeah. was vilified. I guess it's, it's who vilifies a mom. Kind of my takeaway. I'm like, yeah, that's a little bit, that's a little bit too much. The third moment for me in the book so far, I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Your relationship with Seema Auntie or Didi or whatever she's called. Seema. Seema Auntie, yeah. Or Didi. I know some people, just Seema. Just kidding. Seema. From Mumbai. I'm assuming you don't have a relationship with her now, but in your mind, looking back, what is your feelings towards her? Do you think she was doing what she needed to do for the show? I met her once. You guys see the one time I meet her. I've never met her again in my entire life. I chose not to be a client of hers on season two, so I had no interaction with her. In fact, it was kind of confusing for the viewer. We were at this party, and it kind of shows both of us at the party, but and on all honesty, and I've been very honest with this on TikTok, and I did like a little spiel on it, but I was not at the party when she was at the party. And that was my decision, and that was my choice, and I stand by it. And not working with her is my choice, and I stand by it. And that was what was right for me. And I think so many South Asian women, so many women don't do what's right for them because it's uncomfortable, or the people around you don't like it. Or it's just, it seems petty, but whatever's right for you needs to be done. And so that was right for me to not put myself in a situation where I felt uncomfortable or not happy to be there. You can exit those situations. And I wanted to show people that. 
Yeah, and also like that negative energy just seeps in and it's just going to ruin that experience for you and it's not worth it. And as we get older, we know how to like filter that out. The next moment that I wanted to say, I want to kick his ass. I cannot believe that you didn't get your wine opener back. That's like the most heartbreaking part. Uh You probably have to throw it away in TSA. Oh no, that's horrendous. That made me like jolted me the most. I was like, and so just for the audience, this is your father's wine opener he got from Germany, I believe, right? My grandfather's. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like fucked up. I was upset mm-hmm. about that. I was, yeah, it's pure silver, made in the 60s, bought in Germany in a store there. Our family's like kept it. And for some reason that day, I just didn't have a wine opener in my house except for this one. And I was like, oh, we'll just use this one. It's fine. Never got it back. That idea of him being that inconsiderate, I don't know him at all. Or again, I don't even remember his name, but like, just, are you kidding me right now? Like, okay, anyways, that was my kick his ass moment. And then finally, my hell yes moment was so far, again, I need to finish the rest, but I know this experience, you thought it would change you in one way, it changed you in a completely different way. And that I think is just life in general. This is what tends to happen. You ended up just building a brand for yourself and wanted to talk to you then about current projects. So I know we briefly talked in in Austin. You were in New York for a bit and moved back. So tell me about that. Like, what was the reason to move to New York? I always say relationship with New York. You know why? And then why come back? I decided to move to New York probably when I quit my job as a lawyer in October 2020, because for the first time I was free. I didn't have to be in the state of Texas. I didn't have to be barred anywhere. I wasn't going to be practicing for one year. I thought I thought it was sabbatical, and I was like, I should get to New York. I should just live in that city that I've never lived in. And what's funny is I didn't get to go in October 2020, obviously because of the pandemic. I just didn't think it was, you know, for me personally, health-wise safe. And so I moved there when I was double vaccinated in April 2021, and I spent about 10 months there. I was there. So my book came out the next year. And it was a beautiful experience. You know, I got a sublet in the West Village. There's no more romantic of a place to idealize New York than the West Village. Uh, people would line up outside Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker's apartment, you know, right like a couple of blocks from me, and I'd be like, me too. Me too. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, you have to. Yes. Obviously. But, you know, what happened really quickly and what I was very surprised by was that I made such great friends. I, I think that that was so special. And New York gave those, gifted those to me because of, I guess, social media. So many women in New York had seen me on their screens and they, they saw through the edit and they didn't like what they saw. And then they read, you know, my hundred interviews that I did after that, you know, ranging from Oprah to the New Yorker to New York Times to Washington Post. And they were like, wait a second, there's a story here and we want to get to know this woman. And so I actually had so many friends that reached out and it was such fun because some of those people are still the people that I call the second I'm in the city. So like I, I was thinking about your semester at sea and how they're still like your good friends. And making friends in your 30s, like new good friends, is not easy. Like, it's, it's a whole different prospect, right? So I think New York City is the one place that that's actually, you can do it. It's the one city that you never know what's going to happen the next day. I know you and I were chatting over text, and you had a Michelle Obama event, and then a hate copy event. And you're like, oh, just in one day, New York City, this is like... 
the love of that city, it it can it's a it's a love hate. I, I lived there for four years, and and mm-hmm. it can eat you up, and then you can just fall in love with it again. It's a very yeah. messed up relationship in a way. It is, and the yes. people that stay there for like a decade straight, I'm like, wow. Yeah. I don't know how you did it. I definitely don't think I will live there full time unless I have a partner that really needs to or something. But I do definitely see myself getting a place for three or four months there. It is very easy in that city also to do that. And I do enjoy the city. And so I'm like, well, you can spend three or four months there. Oh, easy. Yeah. My my plan is, I told my husband, like, my, I need a second like apartment there. So let's just make it happen. So I can have my girls weekends. You can have your boys. And yes, totally. So building the brand. So I was looking through your Instagram. I didn't realize all, I mean, you were, you've been doing so much. So collaborating, like you were a judge for Miss America. I, I'm going to miss a bunch of stuff. Princess Cruise recently, I know that. Your speaking engagement, South by Southwest, obviously is where we met. GW, so many more. So you quit the law job which is kind of a big deal for people like, I mean, I'm usually a very corporate, we got to do this law, doctor, engineer thing. How has it been for you building your brand, collaborating at these with these amazing other brands? Has it been, I'm sure exciting, but also is it a little nerve wrecking to like not have a nine to five? Well, about building the brand, I didn't know what I was building when I was building this brand. So there was no strategy behind it. There was no idea of what it could even possibly lead me to. In fact, that year in New York taught me so much about opportunities that we say yes to. But I didn't know what I was building. And, and that was kind of an always sweeter for me when I look back on the things that one would call a brand. And I'm like, oh, I was just living my life and saying yes to opportunities. And so many people ask me, like, who's your publicist? Like, who's your media strategy person? I was like, me, I'm my publicist. I'm my media strategy person. That's why I stayed in New York for as long as I did, because the opportunities that I'm working on now all stem from there, all stem from there. That's crazy to think about that. That one city gifted me what might be my future career for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know. We need to, like, bring some of that energy to Texas. I'm not sure how to yeah. do that. Me either. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I just moved back and uh, was on the East Coast. And I'm like, how do we do this? I'm not sure if it's even possible, but at least we're all together. Highlights from the past few years, from this shift of, you know, the nine to five to the uh, building your brand that, you know, that you didn't know you were going to. What have been some of the most holy shit I'm here events? Oh, there's so many. I think... One of the first was um, in September of 2021, Hitha had a, who had a book launch and her friend threw her dinner and it was in the basement of Sona and I had never been to the basement of Sona. Ironically, since then I've been thousands of times, but we sat around this huge table and it was all South Asian women and there were maybe 30 of us and we all had these different backgrounds and we had all accomplished so much and the purpose was for us to meet each other and to connect with each other and to become a community. And I had never had that before. Um, And so to see that, to be a part of that table, to sit there with all those incredible women, I mean, imposter syndrome set in for all of us, which was really funny because everyone's sitting there with their own imposter syndrome, but the rest of us are are comparing against them. And that was a moment where I was like, this is a city of equals. This is a city of people that want to help you. This is a city of incredible women who are building a life that, I had never seen in Texas. And so you can only dream of what you've seen, which is why I dreamt of three kids and a beautiful home and a husband and like a stable job. And I thought that's that's my ultimate dream. Like I would love that. 
And then I came to New York City where nobody wants that. In fact, it's the opposite. And there were so many of them. And I didn't know so many of them existed. Here I was thinking I was like a alone ship in the night. And it's like I went to a place where like I was one of 50 million. And I thought, this is great. This is great that my path and my trajectory and my opportunities in no way are like weird to these people. No, it's so good to get out of our bubble, right? I think that's the healthiest thing you can do. So I got to ask, why move back? The book tour happened um, in February. The sublet was up. The guy's lease ran out. That's how it works. People's leases need to run out. Mm-hmm. And so I went on my book tour around America through March of 2022. I did India, April and May. When I came back, I was exhausted. We were all taping in between. I gave myself the summer to work on some of the projects that we'll I'm sure talk about. And then the show came out, season two in August. And then that takes over your life. and. It's interesting. It's just like the whole year passed and everyone's like, when are you moving back? When are you moving back? And I'm like, it should be now, but I have this to deal with and that to deal with. And, and I don't like the summer in the city. Some people love it. It's just not for me. And so I just never made it back until I think September, which okay. is not that bad. I went for uh, about five weeks, six weeks. Okay. And so I thought that was a great amount of time. Like, I think you mentioned again, when we were texting, you're like, you know, you're, you have the option to go when you want to go like once a month, twice a month, you can get your New York energy in and then come back to the family. It's kind of a perfect blend of all of it. So you mentioned there's some things, projects coming up. Anything you can talk about? Yeah, I have a couple of great proposals out. Um, Someone approached me actually about my chapter one semester at me, and I'm thinking about writing a YA series or maybe just one book on that experience of a a South Asian 20-year-old, not a memoir. Uh, something much more exciting than what I actually experienced. And um, I think that's a really cool project. I never thought I would write YA fiction and especially with Amazon. And so <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. And then I wrote my first screenplay. It's sitting on the desk at uh, Hallmark of, of someone. It's been through a few desks and people like it, but it's, it's got to find the right desk. And so that's exciting. And then I turned in another proposal to them recently of a movie that I'm really excited about. And as a new writer, these proposals don't really get me anything. I do have to do the whole project, which is which is really like other writers who are in the industry are like, you're getting robbed. And I'm like, I'm a new writer. Like, just because I was on this TV show doesn't mean that I get special treatment. Like, I have to prove myself alongside everyone else and maybe more. Maybe I have to prove myself more. Yeah, it helps that you're a lawyer as well, because I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like underneath it all, a lot of us have this writing itch whatever that means i'm not saying we're all good writers but we just have we do have that itch to do it actually i know we we talked about um i saw abraham varghese yesterday and he calls himself i mean an accidental writer he just it said he stumbled into it because of circumstances and and life would you call yourself that yeah i mean i just got a call one day and, and got a literary agent and then she helped me with the proposal and then i got a book deal and and I enjoyed it. And I was like, great. Someone, you know, at that time in New York was like, oh, I have a friend that works at Crown Media, which is Hallmark. And so my first kind of idea of writing a movie came from there. And it's interesting. Like, I just was like, I can do so much with my writing and I enjoy it so much. We didn't touch on your question earlier, but you asked like, what's hard about it? I didn't know that the entertainment industry or, or Hollywood or wherever it's called, takes so long to move a project along. Like, I thought, oh, in a year or two, I'll be making an income through writing. I can, I can do that. I can live off my savings for two years. It's been 
I mean, technically it's been a few months since I started really writing uh, like screenplays, but in my mind, I'm like, I, I haven't had stable income, like a W2 income since 2020 and we're hitting 2020, we're in 2023. So, yeah. You don't have that lifeboat, right? That law lifeboat. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Good no. for you. Yeah. Shake it up. It's, Why not? It's making me hustle. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think you, you can do that. Obviously, your book has had impact on women, not just women of color, women in general. I, uh, I got to tell you, when I went to the event yesterday at the Dallas Museum of Arts, uh, one of the curators of that event, her name is Jennifer, I'm giving her a shout out, loves you. She loves you book. Anyways, we'll talk about that because she wants you to come to the the Dallas Museum. But you obviously have had an impact on women of all colors. I kind of want I didn't know how to ask you this question, but I wanted to know what are you hearing the most from women that are coming up to you that don't know you? What what are they saying to you the most? Just a lot of thank yous for like really being raw and authentic on the show in season one. And a lot of thank yous for saying like, this isn't working for me in season two because they're thanking me because they've never seen it on their screens and I'm trying to normalize it for them to do it in some way in their life. And I'm always really touched by that. And, and they're always cheering me on. And, you know, he became an accidental writer. I think I became an accidental like female empowerment figure for some people. And I became an accidental podcaster too, by the way, all of it. Yes. 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 But um, some people ask me, like, is that stress you out that now you have like this role? And it's like, no, my only role is always living my own life. Like my only role for them is to have them watch me and to share my life as it goes along. And, and that's why I kind of write that most of the book because I couldn't find a memoir of a woman that hadn't already reached the top of the mountain and was looking back and being like, oh, all the things I did to get to the top of the mountain. I was like, what about those of us who are just scrambling in the rocks? Yeah, (laughs) most of us. Most of us are like, what the F is going on? Where are those stories? You know, uh, I didn't see them for South Asian women. And so I think this memoir is different in that way that I'm admitting that I don't have it figured out. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm lost as ever. And and here's my story. And yeah. a lot of women are like, that really hit home for me. Your book really hit home for me. And I'm like, that's good. Because none of us brown people admit this shit. That's the problem. Right. We're like, right. no, everything's perfect. And mm-hmm. we married the perfect people. And and it mm-hmm. it's somewhat cultural, somewhat generate. I don't know. It's a mix of stuff, which is a whole other podcast. But yes, we need more of this. And this is what I do in the podcast. I'm like, I share my shit. That's the point. Otherwise, why listen to perfection? That's stupid. Right. And, no, and by the way, no one has that, so. In the book, you know, you mentioned your age. Obviously, it was a few years ago, like I'm 34, I need to get married a couple times. The show has been released a few years ago. The book was released last year. You're a couple years older. What is your relationship to aging now? Still in my mind a little bit, but that, that peer group in New York that normalized so many things for me, normalized following your own path, even in getting married and having children and not having children and in so many different ways. And I was like, oh, this could be normal for me to do the same thing. There is no timeline. Of course, I knew that, but you feel like there is aging just with your fertility and and all those issues. And then I was like, I'm not going to worry about it. Like my best self comes out when I'm living my best life. And so that's when the right partner is going to come along. There's no way he could have found me when I was you know, working a job I didn't like, living in a place that didn't align with me, 
I was just living a lifestyle that didn't align with me, which was very stagnant. And so I kind of see it more as like a, a part of my journey now and not the actual journey. Don't you think, though, living in Texas keeps you in that bubble of marriage at a certain time, kids at a certain time. I mean, like most places in the U.S. I know New York is different, California is different, but living here also, I mean, I grew up here. I was born and raised here. I was like the oldest, like, I feel like all my friends got married at 25. I did get married, but like got married later, had kids later, you know, like most of my friends now, their kids are graduating high school. And I'm like, yeah, I just got into kindergarten. So, So we're doing that. But I do feel like there is a little bit of a Texas bubble, like in many states, right? I think there's the coastal ideals, ideology, right. and then there's the rest of America. So actually, the rest of America, like Texas, does applaud this very um, milestone-driven path. And uh, it's funny, when I lived here, I, I didn't even think of it like that. I just thought of it as the path. Right. And then I got to one of those coasts, and I saw people living their own path, and they created it. And, and I thought, I could do that. I could create my own path. If they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. It's a very, I think something in the book, or I, I read something that you you wrote about New York, not just being an environment of geography, it's it's a whole different energy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a whole it's different, a feeling. it's a feeling, it's a whole different mm-hmm. feeling. And I got very addicted to it. It was very hard to leave. And I'm going to start with something you wrote in the book and then and then ask you, I know you wrote in the book when you had first initially talked to Seema about your requirements for a guy, uh, someone who's a little bit introverted, who's not telling the funny stories at the dinner table and, and being the guy, the guy. Before I ask you what you are looking for, are you still searching for that relationship or are you focused on the relationship with yourself right now? I think you can be both. I think you can, it's not either, it's and. I am focused on my own relationship with myself and I am focused on finding a partner. But like I said before, I think they go hand in hand. I think that as I find more of myself, I will attract more of the right partner for me. I mean, we could be happy with, I think, um, probably a dozen people that we meet in our life, but who's the person that's really going to grow with us? And if, because I'm in such a growing stage of my life, I believe if they meet me here, they'll think this is who she is. She's always growing. And then I can always be the partner that grows. Maybe I'm tricking them. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. Tricking is part of it. Do you feel like your point of view on your partner and who you want him to be has changed? Yes, okay. definitely. I think, actually, the email I had to send before this was to someone who wants to match make me. And he asked, he and his wife, what's your criteria? And I said, he has to be very intelligent and inquisitive about the world around him. He has to be following whatever he thinks his purpose is right now that can change and evolve. He has to be kind. He has to be compassionate. He has to be wanting a family. And so that's my criteria nowadays. I said he could be any religion, but he has to be tolerant of mine. And I think that's what it is nowadays. It's a big tolerance for people that are very different than me and people very different than who my friends married. Because now my friend group is the Texas one and the New York one. And in New York, you can marry anyone and everyone's behind it. And I love it. I just want to ask, would you ever consider non-Indians? No. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Just, that's good to know. At least you know yeah. your, at least in your parameters. And this may have been a couple drinks in at South by Southwest. But I think I asked you, you should be the matchmaker. 
Like sure. you should lead your own show. Is that even like was I was I just completely drunk? Was that even happening? No, a lot of people tell me that. Okay. I, I did match make for the juggernaut. Um, so right after season two came out, the juggernaut was like, Do you want to be the matchmaker? We'll like get in our subscribers, non-subscribers, and and then we'll match like twenty-five couples. And we got four hundred and fifty or something of the applications. They were like, She's the matchmaker, I want to do it. And it was fun because I got to do so many matches in the LGBTQ uh, community. Yeah, we, you know, there were people who were non-binary, who were trans, and they were all South Asian, which was interesting. And, and they were coming to me because they trusted me. And I haven't seen that trust on my screen with any matchmaker yet. And so I think if I could do it, I would do it. Okay. In my head, for some reason, when I left that club we were at, I'm like, oh my God, Aparna's going to be the next matchmaker. But <laughs> I just, I made it up in my head, but you never know. Maybe. Just, just throwing it out there. Well, yeah. I got to tell you, man, season three, Simon, Simon, I was like, let's, can we move on? But anyways, mm-hmm. just, just, just say it. Just saying. I love asking about high school, my guess about high school and now. So high school Aparna, if you were to go back to high school right now, would your high school, uh, high school reunion, would you be a totally different person? And most people, I know they are, but like just, would people be shocked to know the Aparna now? Well, they already know me. Oh yeah, that's true. You are a celebrity. Yeah, this is true. It's weird how much people know about me, even from my own social media. Like they know when I go to Costco sometimes, they know when I go to a book reading, they know when I, you know, and they speak to me about it and it actually makes me feel good. People are like, is that weird for you? And I'm like, no, it's lovely. Like, my friends don't call as much, because, and then they'll admit it's because they feel like they know what's going on in my life, and I have to remind them that social media is not everything and that there's a lot more going on in my life. But that's how connected we feel when, when someone does choose to share on social media. And so I don't think I could surprise anyone at this point, unless they've been living under a rock. This is know, true. 2020. Yeah. This is true. I just would love to see you go back to your high school reunion. And then <laughs> your relationship growing up brown in Texas. I know you moved here when you were seven proud of being South Asian? Was it embarrassing? What was your relationship to being Indian American? And how has that changed over the years? I mean, of course, the beauty standard when I had an age where there was a beauty standard, like middle school was always the blonde girl, the very lean girl, the girl who was like developed, but had no fat on her. And so I knew that was beauty. And I knew my dark hair was not beauty. But I was always like really happy at school. I had a lot of friends. I was always in the right crew, always played the right sports, always did the right things. And that's what I would go back to change, honestly. I'd be like, be alone more, explore yourself more. Don't join volleyball because everyone else is doing volleyball and you get to wear those tiny little shorts during the day. Like, don't roll up your skirt if you don't want to. Like, you don't have to make your uniform shorter. And so, I don't know, I think that's where that diversity of my experience came in, where I was so assimilated that I didn't even realize the things I was doing. I also have a mom that's very English in so many ways. And so at home, I wasn't getting that environment anyway that a lot of kids talk about like their lunch boxes. And my mom was like, I mean, she doesn't really cook. So she, how would she put Indian food in my lunchbox? She was like, these Lunchables are already made. Shove them at me. And so I, I didn't have that at home. I had a very well-spoken English mother. And so I didn't feel like that, that contrast so much uh, when I went to school in the morning. Got it. And I got to kind of go back to one question because I really am curious. I mean, I did marry an Indian American guy, but I am curious. I didn't really dig into why, why not look outside of Indian? What is it about the Indian men or brown men that you think you want to stick with? 
So a lot of things in my life are really not chaotic, but like moving parts. And and I would like my partner to be something that feels familiar and someone who feels like home. And and Vanderbilt, I speak about this in the book. It was a, a place where there were no South Asians in my school and where I could look around a whole restaurant and only see white people or black people. And I was like, wait a second, where's everyone? Because in Houston, we see everyone. And there was like just a sense of discomfort the whole time. Not that a wonderful man, you know, wouldn't appreciate my culture, want to know more about my culture, but that experience, those three years really solidified that I would like a partner that's South Asian. Okay. That makes sense. And I will tell you, I'm almost 14 years now married. It does make a difference. So I, I totally get it. But, you know, I've seen a mix of all, a mix of it all. We all have of our friends marrying Indians and non-Indians. And so just, just curious. Okay. So last round, fast round, first thing that you can think of. What personality traits are you most proud of? Courageous, kind, smart. What is your biggest pet peeve? When people don't value or respect me. Tell me about an interesting experience you've had or encounter you've had recently that you haven't shared. At TED, I was watching this amazing speaker, Sal Khan of Khan Academy. I was just so involved with him. I wasn't in the actual theater. I was watching these like little living rooms that they set up outside that's streaming what's going on inside the theater. And I remember thinking, this is so great. And I read up after he was done speaking and I drank coffee and I went to go take pictures and some woman grabbed me and she's like, I've been looking for you everywhere. I've been running around this conference center showing everyone your picture, looking for you everywhere. Salcom wants to meet you. And I was like, great. The man who's just speaking, the man who runs Khan Academy. So I meet him. He's about to fly out to another conference. And he's like, my wife is your biggest fan and I'm a fan too, but can we take a photo? And I was like, I'm your biggest fan. And he's like, are you still single? And I said, yeah. He's like, my wife and I can match make you. And I was like, what? And what? he was like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And so that's a story not many people know that I'm letting a lot of people and, and wanting a lot of people to get involved in helping me to find someone. I ask all my friends and new people I meet, do you think you have someone that I could be interested in meeting? Oh, wait, I just met someone. Sorry. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I seriously did. Okay. Anyways, continue. Oh my, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. Okay. Anyways, he's based in yeah. Austin. I'm not going to say his perfect. name. Okay. Anyways, we'll talk later. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If I don't ask, people are living their busy lives. They don't they don't think about it. They love yeah, me, of course, of course, but they're not thinking about the things that I need, which is introductions to men. Yeah. And so I just thought it was very kind of it. More than like the actual him wanting to matchmake me, I thought there was a kindness to that, that he watched me on the screen and he wanted so much goodness for me and his wife did too, that this woman was chasing me around a conference center trying to find me so that he could tell me that. At the moment where I can see our community and the ways that it bands together and it's a part of your collective journey. I yeah. was very touched. Well, also, Aparna, it's also owed to you because you are the only way that can happen is if you're putting it out there. You're putting that energy mm -hmm. out there, right? So and mm -hmm. it's not easy. Like, you know, it's not be right. like, hey, help me out. So mm -hmm. kudos to you for doing that. And I literally just thought of someone. So, anyways, we'll talk about <laughs> it. I'm not even kidding. How do you want to be remembered by the people around you? That I gave them the best of myself. Ultimate collab for 2023. Someone you have never worked with. Oh, I was like United Airlines. <laughs> I was ready to answer. Done. Okay. Never mind. You already know the questions. Uh, a person. Um, or I don't know, anything. Anything. Oh, then United. United. Can I ask why? I fly United everywhere and I see other influencers get like them at the collab and 
and United flies them to all these wonderful places, also gives them free flights. And I'm like, this is the life. You don't even have to work for the airline. You could just be the influencer for the airline. Aren't you? I feel like you talked about a, you talked about a flight at the beginning. Was that United? Yes, okay. I only fly United. Yeah. Okay, well, so, throw it out there. Come on, yeah. United, if you're listening somewhere. If it all goes awry, you know, say you don't find the perfect guy. What is your bare bones for happiness? I think it's what I'm doing right now. I'm genuinely happy right now. And it's, it's continuing to live a life where I'm learning new things and trying new things and failing, which is very uncomfortable, but I think it's helping me a lot. I'm failing a lot. And that's what the human existence for me is about because I'm curious about the world around me. I want to grow and live in it. I want to story tell in that world. And there's so many ways I can do that, that I can try every single way. And I think I could have a lifetime of trying every single way. That's amazing. Okay, last question. Do you still believe in lifeboats? Yes. Yes, I think that they will forever be saving me. Yay! God, that Harvey story, man. I was, my brother went. My brother had to get say like all. Because we have I have a lot of friends in Bel Air, mm-hmm. so I was thinking I was like reading and I was like, oh my god, this is yeah, yeah. that is, I mean, crazy. But it showed you the goodness of people. You know that yeah. woman who I still have never Barb. seen again. Where's Barb? Barb? We need Barb. Where is Barb? She Seriously. came and she saved us. And, I know. And we should have a billboard a- in Houston that says "Where is Barb?" Barb? <laughs> yeah. Well, she lives somewhere in Maryland, and she had come to Bel Air to be saved, and then that house got flooded too and she was like that was a bad plan um so that's all we know about her and i just think it shows you the kindness of people and how unexpected it is who the person is totally one of my friends one of my friends did try to come and get me and uh it was barb that actually saved us and and i think that's what's going to happen in my life oh totally who knows the most unlikely person is going to be my lifeboat um for my partner it's always the unlikely person Always. I will Always. tell you, I mean, not that you need to hear any more stories about how people met, but, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of your girlfriends that are married. I met my husband when I was completely just like what you are doing right now, doing mm-hmm. my own fucking thing and a completely mm-hmm. happy kind of, you know, always in the back of my mind looking, but never like, mm-hmm. I just at peace with what I was doing. And that's, it just happened and met him. And I was like, oh my God, you are a preppy Ivy League guy. This is never going to happen. And here we are. And then here we are two kids later and a couple of podcasts. And (laughs) you just, you never know. Never thought in my, before him, I was dating like poor artists and musicians that were like, I thought I was going to live in a tent the rest of my life. And I was a weird Mm -hmm. Indian chick and everyone else's doctors. And I was like, I can't handle this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know. I love that. You never know. Yeah. You never know. I'm excited for you. I definitely think Aparna should be the next matchmaker, like the, the woman that makes it all happen. That would be such a good show. You guys, please follow her. You can check out her website, belikeaparna.com. Kind of love that. And then also she is on socials at Aparna Shevakramani. And as always, you can follow me at Tucker.podcast, Tucker.withami.com. My newsletters, which I know, I know I need to make happen. Things have just been so crazy. But still, subscribe. It's free. AmiTucker.substack.com. Guys, it is almost summertime and school is almost over and I have to do something with my kids. So, of course, we have a few more great episodes till the end of May. And then I'm going to shake things up this summer, make it a little fun and interesting. So stay tuned for all that. I have a few cool live events happening. And um, yeah, 
can't complain here. So thank you guys for listening. I will see you next week. This is Tuckered Out.